everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Jeff. Also uh, joining me as usual, my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm so excited about baseball right now. I couldn't wait to do the show this week just so I can talk more about it. Oh, well, I think we'll do that. Let's talk about some baseball. But before before we go there, I do want to just let everybody know that two strike noise, we definitely are swack. I don't know. Two people might get that. I'm such a big football fan, college football fan, especially. Oh, yeah. I thought that was good. Or we might be swass. I don't know. For those Sir Mix-a-Lot fans. Absolutely. Possibly. I, now, is Sir Mix-a-Lot, is that actual, is he actually royalty? Like Sir Hensley yeah. Mullins? Or is this just a... Yeah, no. Uh, Mixalot was uh, dubbed uh, a lord oh. or a knight. Well, then wouldn't he be Lord Mixalot by, by mm. Queen Latifah or something? I don't know. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. So <laughs> Queen Latifah gives you that you are just a sir, but that's that's a good point. So, Mark, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Mariners are advancing in the playoffs. You know, somebody mentioned that to me earlier, and uh, boy, that's exciting. Yeah, dude, it was. Um, I can't believe they, they went into Toronto and took two immediately from the Blue Jays. It was, uh, they're playing some really good baseball right now. Well, fun fact, Mark, the Mariners currently now own the best playoff winning percentage in baseball over the last 20 seasons. <laughs> there, nobody, nobody can touch them. They have a hundred percent winning percentage in the playoffs over the last twenty years. So that makes me very proud. Congratulations, uh, the Guardians Rays series. Wow, that was kind of crazy. Must have really made Rob Manfred really mad because the first game with no pitch clock, fastest playoff game in history, two hours seventeen minutes. Game two, where we have no ghost runner starting off in extra innings, is the longest 0-0 playoff game in history and went four hours and 57 minutes. <laughs> wow, they more than made up for it. Yeah, so neither, I mean, nothing that baseball's going to implement next year would have affected either of these games no. <laughs> that swing. There is a typical entire game played between these two, between 217 and 557. Hey, it's, uh, it's baseball. Uh, Speaking of the Guardians, Tristan McKenzie of the Guardians, the pitcher, he pitched game two, started game two, nicknamed Dr. Sticks, which is a great nickname. He's 6'5", 165 pounds. Yeah, absolutely Sticks. 165 might be a little generous. Uh, He's friends, though, with CeCe Sabathia. CeCe was at the game. Sabathia, obviously a, a former Guardian Cleveland pitcher. Now, remember when we used to use Altuve's as a measurement of height? Yes. <laughs> so I propose that we use McKenzie's as the new measurement of width. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Because if Tristan McKenzie turns a certain way, he disappears because he's so thin. So I am thinking, like, you could ask how many McKenzie's wide was CC Sabathia during his playing days? Ooh, boy, oh boy, that's that's a that's a large number. Yeah, it is. I'm thinking three was the first number that came to mind. Maybe three and a half. Maybe. Yeah. You know what's interesting is for Halloween, those two uh, could stand it together and make the number ten. <laughs> Couples costumes are great, aren't they? <laughs> I think we oh, discussed yeah. a while ago that CC actually, and this was a, this was 
confirmed, had the largest number of pinstripes on his Yankee jersey of all time. That's fantastic. (laughs) But, you know, he looks really healthy now. He's dropped a lot of weight. He looks really... He looks really healthy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad for him because he was huge when he was pitching. Yeah, he was. It's, it's, it wasn't super healthy, but boy, could he throw a ball. Yeah, well, and he said he lost weight when he was playing once, and he didn't pitch well. So he definitely mm-hmm. pitched better when he was heavier. Hey, we're going to talk about some heavy guys or a heavy guy later today. So just a, a teaser there. Uh, also, a lot of big names playing their final game this week. Uh, Yachty and Albert Pujols both ousted in the first round. Not a good showing by the Cardinals. Uh, but also, and maybe the biggest, literally, Deho Lee has uh, officially retired from baseball. Oh, Deho. Deho. Him and his cat-like quickness. Yes. He's a favorite of uh, certain members of this show. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they've uh, the, the uh, KBO, the Giants, uh, retired his number. And uh, congratulations to Deoli. He had really, I mean, we've gone through his numbers before. He was a great player in, in Korea. Oh, the man could hit. Yeah, did oh. not translate so much to the NPB or to the, to the MLB, but he was a, a KBO legend. So Absolutely. So while I was doing something else, I, my attention was brought to some caught stealing numbers that I want to look at here in our in our BP segment. Uh, specifically, uh, I wanted to look at two <laughs> two numbers. So obviously, my guy Ricky Henderson he holds the all time mark for caught stealing. We'll put it out there. You know, you expect that well, from somebody that sure. runs as much. He tr- he tried to steal more than anyone else and stole more than anybody else. Yeah, so he's up there. Well, I'm I'm admitting that. But I found some caught stealing numbers that question how somebody could possibly be thrown out this many times. <laughs> like I've I've said it before. Some people you need to just staple to the bag and say, Don't you know, stay here. First of all, I wanted to talk about noted speedster Will Clark. Oh, yes. Which I don't think those three words have ever been strung together. Definitely not. Yeah, but for his career, he stole 67 bags, which surprised me. He was caught 48 times. Ooh. That's not good. But in 1987, Clark stole five bases. He was caught 17 times. Are you kidding me? I kid you not. Why would you even try anymore? I don't know. I mean, was he just, were, were there just broken hit and runs left and right with him on base? I don't know. <laughs> Some guys just always have the green light, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> the next year, however, he stole nine bases and was only caught once. Okay, so he honed his skills. <laughs> yeah, and after that, I, it should be noted, he was never caught more than he swiped the rest of his career. But... Five bags, 17 caught stealing. That is that is not helping your team at, yeah. at all. I can see once you hit 10, you start going, well, the odds are definitely in my favor, so maybe you run a little bit more. But the odds didn't come around. Yeah, no, <laughs> they definitely didn't. Now, we know Harold Reynolds because he won the stolen base crown in 87 because, of course, of an injured Ricky Henderson. But right. the next season, I think Harold was trying too hard. He ended up with 35 stolen bases. He was caught 29 times. Oh, yeah, that's a bad ratio. That is not. That's almost just at 50%. The next season, 25 steals, 18 caught stealing, which is essentially almost the same percentage. 
just that's that's rough. Since 1980, though, the worst year for stealing bases with a minimum of 10 stolen bases is Rod Carew and Greg Gagne. No kidding. Both of them, in different seasons, obviously, ended with 10 stolen bases and 17 caught stealing. <laughs> That's still not as bad as the Will Clark because they doubled his output. Right. Man, that's, that's a lot of getting caught. That's a success rate of 37%. And what typically, if you want it to be like, is it 75 to 80% you, you figure is okay? Yeah. Now, if I, I lowered the parameter then to, to five stolen bases, and then Will Clark's 87 season is first, followed by Dave Parker in 85, who stole five but was caught 13 times. So. You know, not as bad as Will, but still not somebody that, you know, maybe should be running every time they get on base. No, I mean, the only time you want to see uh, Dave Parker run is when he's doing the home run trot and he's halfway into the, the first base dugout as he rounds first. And That's right. Yes. Those, those finger guns are out. I used to imitate him all the time with those finger guns doing a home <laughs> run trot. All right, Mark, this show is debuting on October 12th. Not a lot going on today in terms of debuts as, you know. Obviously, we're in the playoffs, but sometimes we get some good names. Today, though, making his debut is the legendary Horace Helmbold. Oh, good old Horace. What was Horace famous for, Jeff? Well, he kind of sounds like a villain in some, like, vaudevillian melodrama, no? Oh, yeah. Ah, it's it's Horace him. Like, he's got a handlebar mustache, and he wears a black cape. He's Dick Dastardly, essentially. Yeah, tying young ladies to railroad tracks. Oh, yes, that's a good one. But no, Horace, he was just a baseball fan like you and I. He was one of 11 players that appeared in a single game for the 1890 Philadelphia Athletics. Very nice. Now, it should be noted that there were, uh, of those 11 players that only appeared in a single game, 10 of those, that was their entire career. One game in 1890. Wow. Which is kind of weird. Horace was one of those guys. I'm not sure if they needed to fill out their rosters or what, but they finished with a 54-78 and 78 record, 34 games out of first, yet nowhere near last place. That honor fell to the Brooklyn Gladiators with a 26-73 and 73 mark. I did look through all of the standings. A couple of other teams did have these single game players. Two or three of the teams did, and there were only two or three of them, as opposed to 11 for the for the A's. But I wanted to get back to Horace's single game. The A's and the Syracuse Stars were playing a doubleheader. And a little bit of an interesting thing here is they alternated the who was the home team between the two games, which I don't get. That's interesting. Another odd thing about it is they played nine innings in the first game and seven in the second. The Stars took the first game 16-1 to in a nail-biter. Then Horace took the hill for the second game and he went the distance, pitched all seven innings. After six innings, the Stars led 8-4 to and then Horace fell apart in the seventh. He gave up seven more to lose the game 15-4. to The A's were outscored 31-5 to on the day. And I found this great recap from the Philadelphia Inquirer from 1890. And the reporter had obviously had enough of this team. This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. So, you know, the A's are are the home team. This is the article. In the presence of a very slim crowd, the Athletics and Syracuse clubs played two games yesterday. The so-called Athletics indulged in their usual display of soul-harrowing ball playing 
fielding in the most ragged fashion and batting like boys. <laughs> oh my. Don't hold back. Yeah, he was, he's like, man, I, they paid me to be here and I still did not want to be here. <laughs> but yeah, he wow. was not happy about having to be at the, uh, at that double header. But uh, that is our, our lone debut. There were only three debuts to choose from, but Horace by far had the most, I guess, interesting debut on October 12th, back in 1890. And I'm assuming the best name, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I pick names, too. You know, whether we know them or they're just good names, I'm going to. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> All right. So that's going to do it for our BP segment. We'll let the ground screw come out. They've got to got to get those playoff logos down on the in foul territory and so forth. And while they do that, Mark, let's get into the main segment of the show. This week, I wanted to talk about Cecil Fielder. I told you we were going to talk about some big guys. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's generally always a pretty good reason to talk about Cecil. He's a big home run hitter, big guy in general, soft spoken generally liked by most people. I say most because his family is definitely an exception there. I wanted to talk about him, though, because of Aaron Judge. Excitement around baseball this season, whether Judge could hit 61 or even 62. Since 1990, you know, other players have hit more than Fielder's 51. But in 1990, no one had hit that many since Maris set the mark in 1961. 50 home runs in a season was a really big deal. In 1990, there was no social media, obviously. I don't think there was baseball tonight. Certainly no MLB network. I didn't even have cable at this point. I was living in a cave in 1990. All I had was the local news, which in Salt Lake City, Major League Baseball, not a high priority on the uh, five minutes of sports you get each night. But they were even talking about it. So, you know, this was a big deal. I would check the newspaper every morning, read those box scores, and of course the the weekend, the you know the game of the week. That was where I got a, another big bulk of my news of this home run chase, and the judge chase this year really reminded me of that time. So I wanted to review the career of Big Daddy. Cecil Fielder was always a big guy. In fact, when he was eight, growing up in California, a group of little league Karens. Oh, Little League parents, my bad, signed a petition demanding that Cecil be moved into a higher age group. Little League parents get a Little League parent, I guess, even back, guess in, so. back in those days. Jeez. In high school, Fielder made all state in three sports, baseball, football, and basketball. Now, as a football player, Mark, what position do you think Cecil Fielder was lining up at? Um, let's go defensive end. Yeah, I was, I was, he's, he's on that D-line is what I'm thinking. But yeah. no, he was a free safety and a quarterback. Okay. Yeah. Now, if he's my quarterback, I'm running the option. Because <laughs> let him run and try and bring him down is my, my game plan. Basketball, though, was actually his favorite sport. And it's what he thought he was going to pursue. But offers after high school for basketball didn't appear. But UNLV offered him a baseball scholarship. While playing for the Rebels for two seasons, Baltimore drafted him first in 1981, but he didn't sign until the next season when the Royals drafted him. In his first year in the minors, he hit 322, had an OPS of 1.062, hit 20 home runs in 69 games. That is a fantastic first season. Wow. So what did that prompt the Royals to do? 
Trade him, of course. <laughs> of course. But yes. Cecil was sent to the Tigers for none other than Leon Roberts. Now, this is not Leon Bip Roberts. This is just Leon Roberts, a nine-year veteran outfielder who at that point had hit 70 career home runs and had a 269 average. He would play two seasons for the Royals where he hit 252 with eight home runs and then retire. That's about as average as someone can get right there. It, it really is. And looking back at this deal... Probably not the best one for the Royals. No, no. So, Fielder went on to hit 80 more home runs in the next four seasons in the minors, made his major league debut for the Blue Jays in 1985. The problem was, though, that the Jays already had Willie Upshaw at first base and making his way through the minors, Fielder's teammate at the same time was a guy named Fred McGriff. Uh, he was pretty good, too. Yeah, I think we've we've heard of him before. Fielder played sparingly in the big leagues. He mainly platooned against lefties, and even without consistent at-bats, he still hit 14 home runs and knocked in 32 in just 82 games in 1987. But McGriff was the future first baseman. Cecil saw the writing on the wall, and after the 88 season, he had the chance to go play in Japan for our Hanshin Tigers. Well, we've definitely learned through this pod that a lot of players go to Japan for generally two reasons. One, money. And two, to kind of play out the string of their career or maybe get an offer from an MLB team. It's very rare that we find players who go and play an entire season when they get over there, let alone more. But Cecil definitely went over there with a mindset. He was going to play, he was going to play hard, and he was going to work on being a better hitter. In, uh, I found a 1990 Sports Illustrated article about his time in Japan, and Cecil said, quote, When I went over there, I did not expect to come back for a long time. He was there for the long haul. He wanted to get better. That first year with Hanshin, he hit 302, had a 402 on base, and a 1.031 OPS. He had 38 home runs, 81 RBI, and he even missed the entire last month of the season with a broken finger. Wow. That's a great season. 38 Man, home no runs. kidding. Those home runs, too, they were not wall scrapers. He became the first player to reach the back of the Tokyo Dome with a home run. He was also the first to hit two balls out of Yokohama Stadium in the same game. Oh, so, nice. that, yeah, like I said, not wall scrapers. This would become a bit of a theme when he returned to the States. We'll get to that in a minute. We know Cecil Fielder as Big Daddy, his nickname in the in, in the big leagues here. But in Japan, he was dubbed the Wild Bear. <laughs> okay. Which wild in Japan is kind of the image of power and bear for his hulking presence. A few months after arriving in Japan, Fielder called his uh, old teammate Fred McGriff and he said, hey, I want to make a bet with you as to who hits the most homers this year in 1989. So Cecil told him, if I beat you, I'm going to take you to Hawaii. He said, I'll take you to Hawaii is the quote I have here. Like it's a romantic getaway. (laughs) Just the two of them walking on the beach at sunset. I don't know. But he says, if, uh, if I beat you, you've got to do something similar, which this was a mistake to leave it open-ended like that. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah, so McGriff ended up leading the American League in home runs with 36 home runs that year. Good total. But, of course, as I said earlier, Fielder hit 38. Fielder checked in with McGriff after the season, and Freddie said, hey, listen, I'll cook you, I'll cook you dinner. <laughs> 
which seems <laughs> seems like a, a lot less of a, a victory than like a trip to Hawaii. Well, especially if they're having like hot pockets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I Fred McGriff could be a great cook, but I don't think Fred McGriff is a great cook. I don't see that in the crime. He never doc. came across to me as the chef type. No, he really he really didn't. Uh, so Cecil said, well, at least I'm going to make him take me to the best restaurant in Toronto. It's still just I'm I'm not I, if I'm Cecil, I'm saying, listen, just send me to Hawaii and I'll buy my own dinner there. Just, <laughs> exactly. It's on the my way back from Japan. So. <laughs> oh, really? After that great season, the Detroit Tigers offered him a one year deal. The Tigers were coming off an awful season where they finished last. So why not? Let's take a flyer on this guy. Definitely worth it. It led to the season that I referenced in the open. 51 home runs, 132 RBI, and a 592 slugging percentage. He ended up second in the MVP balloting behind some outfielder from Oakland. I don't I don't remember their name. But this 51 home runs almost didn't happen. It, it came down to the wire, just as it did for Judge. Heading into the final game of the season at Yankee Stadium, Fielder sat at 49 home runs. That day, he hit two bombs to reach the highest total in the American League since Maris in 1961. And I guess that was in baseball, right? I, oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm trying to. Everyone's talking about Judge in the American League, and obviously in the National League, we've had several players hit more. But at this point, nobody had hit more than Maris. And so now Fielder ends with 51 home runs. Fielder went on to lead the league that year in RBI, as he did in 1991 and 1992. He became the first player to lead the league consecutively for three seasons in RBI since Babe Ruth in 1919 through 1921. These That's are a pretty big, good company. Yeah, these are big names we're talking about with Cecil Fielder, right? Roger Maris, Babe Ruth. So Fielder's 92 season was equally impressive. He led the league in home runs again. Again, he came in second in MVP balloting, this time to Cal Ripken Jr. The, these second place finishes did not sit well with Fielder, and we'll get to that in a minute here. After returning from Japan, he played for nine more seasons in the big leagues. Uh, he was a three-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, and he won a ring with the Yankees in 1996, coming over near the deadline, and he came up with some big hits in the playoffs, especially against Atlanta in the World Series. Now, generally, when you're a big guy and you hit home runs, people uh, expect you to hit big home runs. Hi, my name's Alfred D'Elia. At home, they call me Big Al, and I hit dingers. Cecil did not disappoint, just like Big Al did not. Uh, we talked about the bombs they hit in Japan. Well, he continued that theme here in the majors. On August 25th, 1990, he became one of only four players and the only Tiger to ever hit a ball over the left field roof at Tiger Stadium. The other three, some pretty good names. Harmon Killebrew, Frank Howard, and Mark McGuire. Yeah, those guys can hit too. So you add those three to, to with Cecil Fielder, and that is a starting front line for any NFL team. Those are huge no dudes. Kidding. Yeah, that's, that, that's some power right there. That are That's a lot of LBs right there. Then in 1996, Fielder became the first and still only major league player to hit a home run against a team four times in a season in four different cities. Now, how did he do that, you ask? Well, that season, first he went deep against my Oakland A's. 
April 6th, this was the year that they started building Mount Davis. So if you remember, the A's played their first couple of homestands at Cashman Field in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. That's that was a bandbox, too, in Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) So he hits one there. April 28th in Tiger Stadium against the A's. He hits one. June 25th, the A's are now back at the Coliseum. He hits one. And then August 23rd, he's now been traded to the Yankees. They're playing the A's in New York, and he hits another one there. Four home runs against the A's in four different cities. Very impressive. Yeah. That's going to be a tough one to tie. <laughs> that, that one will, unless you're traded a lot, probably. Or, or you're, I don't know. You're, I mean, there are teams playing games in other, you know, in Mexico mm-hmm. next year and Puerto Rico and Japan. And I mean, it could happen. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's going to be a tough one. 96 was also a very eventful year for Fielder. Those four home runs against the A's. He won a World Series ring. But his biggest accomplishment might be swiping his first career stolen base. Now, it should be noted that this was clearly on a hit and run where the batter swung and missed. The throw from catcher Greg Myers to second baseman Pat Mears was there, but Mears dropped the ball. <laughs> he, he probably would have been out had he held onto the ball, but nonetheless, it's a stolen base. So, That's a big deal for Cecil. Oh, it was. He was, first of all, they announced it at the Metrodome and the crowd gave him a standing ovation. He <laughs> cannot get the smile off his face. He keeps pointing at the bag like he wants to take it out like Ricky Henderson and hold it over his head. <laughs> I love it. So I got some numbers for you here and on, on this stolen base. Fielder began his major league career July 20th, 1985. Cecil Fielder stole his first base April 2nd, 1996. That's a whopping 3,794 at-bats, 4,355 plate appearances before he got that bag. (laughs) During that time, from his first plate appearance to finally getting this stolen base, there were three different presidents in the office. The first Gulf War had begun and ended. There were three Major League Baseball work stoppages, and Ricky Henderson had stolen 693 bases. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, It should be mentioned that Fielder did have six triples to his name when he finally got that stolen base, because speed doesn't slump. That's right. He did eventually get the base. It was waiting for him in his locker after the game. He even got a second stolen base later that year, ended up being his final stolen base. His career marked six stolen bases, six caught stealing, which is still better than Will Clark. Absolutely. I have to imagine those six were all broken hit and runs, right? You're not just giving Cecil the straight steal sign. I I don't know which manager would do that, but unless you're really trying for an element of surprise— Like, really trying? There's no point. (laughs) So, uh, there are several pictures. I'm guessing some of our listeners have probably seen these pictures of Cecil and his son Prince tagging along throughout Cecil's career. Even in Japan, he was there. Throughout his time in Detroit, uh, New York, there was his son was always with him. I watched several interviews with Cecil during his playing days, and he always mentioned his boy. That's what he always called him. And, of course, as I said that, boy was Prince Fielder, who went on to a major league career of his own that was very similar to his father's. In one of the strangest stats ever, both Prince and Cecil Fielder each ended their careers with 319 career home runs, exactly the same. 
very strange. But it gets much, much stranger. They both hit 97 two-out home runs. Well, that's weird. They both hit 49 home runs in the fourth inning. Wow. They both hit 29 home runs in the fifth inning. And they both hit 18 home runs in the ninth inning. Oh, my gosh. That is incredible, isn't it? (laughs) They also shared two teammates. Both David Bell and Russell Brannion were teammates with both Cecil and Prince Fielder. Wow. Boy, you got to have a long career to pull that off. You do. I mean, they had to have been rookies in like Cecil's final year and then probably their final years with, with Prince. But things went a bit sideways for Cecil. Cecil had a gambling problem. He always did, even dating back to his days at UNLV, where his coach at UNLV would get calls from casinos saying, hey, uh, your, <laughs> your first baseman is here. We know he's not 21. He's, uh, we're letting him gamble because everybody knows who he is, but uh, he's losing a bit. Can you come pick him up? He racked up huge debt like really big, and he couldn't pay after his career ended. Now, I had to read this twice to believe it. Cecil bought a 50-room mansion in Melbourne, Florida in 1995 for $3.7 million. 50 rooms. 50 rooms. There are hotels that don't have 50 rooms. Man, no kidding. What the world do you need 50 rooms for? It had two theaters with $100,000 worth of AV equipment in both, and that was... (laughs) That's back in, what did I say, 1995. So that's probably like half a million now. I have to ask, why do you need two theaters? Is I mean, well, maybe with a 50-room house, it's a long walk to the other one. One was for the kids. One was for you. (laughs) Uh, He had a 100,000-gallon pool with its own mountain and waterfall. I imagine for, with that much water, you need your own mountain, hoping you get snow on top that melts to keep that much water in there, right? Absolutely. He had a 4,500 square foot guest house. That is, that's twice the size of my house for the Man. guest. 8,000 bottle wine cellar. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you have 50 rooms and you have, you're filling them up with people, you need 8,000 bottles of wine. Just to keep everybody happy. Uh, it had a game room. It had a disco. I mean, yeah, it had a disco. I mean, okay, that's the one thing I can do. You have to have a disco. Uh, it had a tennis court and basketball court. I mean, this was this was a huge freaking house. He lost all of that as well as several businesses. He went into hiding from his creditors and his family. He left his wife and daughter struggling to get by because they had nothing. Cecil eventually helped his son Prince negotiate his first contract in baseball, but then there was a disagreement. Cecil wanted a fee for acting as his son's agent, which I understand why. You've got a lot of debt you need to pay off, and you don't have money. Uh, Cecil then drove his son further away by saying that his son was probably only drafted because of his last name. The two did not speak for most of Prince's career. Several times, Prince finished close in the MVP validating, and he was quoted as saying, it would be a cool award to get, but that's not something I think about, besides the fact my father never did it, and if I got it done, that would shut him up again. 
So, yeah, still not a lot of love there. The two have reportedly been in contact and talking, but still don't seem to be fully reconciled. Now, I have to believe that Fielder might be the biggest success story in terms of a player that went to Japan and then came back to the States. Yeah, I, I would think he's the first guy that comes to mind. Yeah, now that I'm putting that out there as a challenge to our listeners. There you go. Because they will tell us for sure if, we, if, if we've missed somebody. But, I mean, look at the numbers. The first four years after returning from the NPB, he was an all-star three times. He finished second in MVP twice. He placed the next two years after that. So the, the four years after he returned, he was getting MVP votes. He led the league in home runs and RBI in the first two, including, of course, as we've now mentioned several times, the first year in 90 when he hit those 50 home runs which was the highest since Maris. So I just wanted to review Cecil Fielder. It, and Mark, you and I had talked about this. The whole judge chase this year had really reminded us both of that Cecil Fielder season when, uh, when he did hit 50, and it was really a special thing. Oh, yeah, me and all my strap buddies, we were all, you know, we were all going, where did this guy come from? We remembered him from, you know, a few years back, um, just being kind of a, an also-ran um in baseball and then all of a sudden he comes out and 50 home runs that was unheard of yeah <laughs> i mean it really i mean 40 was at that point you're like oh that's rarefied air and then yeah. for this guy to hit 50 and 51 i mean it was it was a big thing all yeah. right so there you have it there is cecil fielder big daddy or uh, what, did, what did i say his nickname was wild boar <laughs> wild bear <laughs> wild bear yes what was what was uh kuma's nickname wasn't it Kuma is bear or something like that. When you yeah, pitching. Kuma means bear. Kuma means bear. Yeah, there we go. All right, so that's going to do it for the uh, story segment of the show. Mark, it is time. It's what everybody's here for, though I hope you listen to the Cecil Fielder stuff because I enjoyed looking that stuff up. It is time for everybody's 1v1 uh, cardboard-based gladiatorial combat. It is time for Wax Packs Heroes. Hit the music, Gene. I don't know who Gene is. Good, thank you, Gene. Wax Pack Hero! Gotta pull a Wax Pack Hero! All right, Mark, looking at the scoreboard, I have uh, taken a 10 to 8 lead. I'm I'm holding on, but just by the uh, by the seat of my pants here. Today we're going to be opening up some two thousand tops. Okay, okay. See what we get there. Now, if this is the first time you have joined us for Wax Packs Heroes, I'll give you a quick rundown of the rules here. We're going to open a couple of packs, uh, and then we are going to take the Baseball Reference War of that year from the pack, so the year 2000, and we're gonna add those together. There are a couple of modifiers that can add or subtract points. Uh, if anybody has anything on their face, that means glasses, mustache, uh, eye black, anything like that, that's a plus 10. If they've got a really good mustache though, think like Tom Selleck, you can get an extra bonus 10th of a point for that. If they're wearing real stirrups where we can see the sanitary sock, if they've got sweatbands with their jersey number or their caricature, any of their final three seasons were played for the Seattle Mariners. If their batting helmet has two flaps or no flaps, or they are batting without batting gloves, extra tenth of a point for all those things. If they're wearing those dreaded two-in-one stirrups, though, we're going to minus a tenth of a point. Any awards that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, if they were an all-star or won a gold glove, 
half a point of war. If there's a Hall of Famer on the card, even if they're not the focus of the card, extra point. If Ricky Henderson is on either my card or any of Mark's cards, that's a whole plus five for me. If Nolan Ryan is, which I don't think is going to happen in the year 2000, Mark, you will get those five points. And we are both going to pick a team. And uh, if Mark's team comes up in either pack, it's going to be a half a point for him. If my team comes up, it'll be a half a point for me. So, Mark, who are you going to pick for your team this year, this year, this week? The Baltimore Orioles. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're outside of that window where you picked them two weeks ago. So I'll give that to you. All right. Well, uh, I did Cecil Fielder here. I thought you were going to go with either the Tigers or the uh, the Blue Jays. So I'm going to go with the, the, the Tigers. Okay. Okay. All right, so uh, I've got these two packs here, Mark. One in my left, one in my right hand. Which one would you like? Going left this time. Go left. All right, I'm going to have you go first. Now, these are the uh, the packs where they really shortchange you. Only eight cards in each of these packs. So could be uh, could be wow. a quickie here. And it looks like your last card is a checklist. So. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, oh, boy. Let's let's see. Does that count as one of your eight? No, it does not count as, as an eight. So oh, good. Okay. You're good to go there. All right. So uh, let's start out here. You are going to start out with a guy that I've got on my uh, out-of-the-park baseball team. Uh, well, at least I had him for quite a while on my historical replay. Here with the Tigers, which is my team, Juan Encarnacion. Wow, very nice. Your first player is a Tiger. All right. So Encarnacion played for 11 years in the big leagues, the bulk of it with the Tigers, five years there. He played four in Florida and then a couple in St. Louis, L.A. and Cincinnati. In the year 2000 with the Tigers, he ended up with a 289 batting average, 330 on base and a 433 slugging, 14 home runs, 72 RBI, 16 stolen bases, four caught stealings. That's pretty good. And a 97 OPS plus. And that will equal a 1.9 to start you out. He is a Tiger, so that'll be half a point in the negative for you. And there is nothing else on this card that's going to help you out. Well, okay then. So that'll be a 1.4 for you. Let's see. He won two World Series rings, one with Florida in 2003 and then one with St. Louis in 2006. He did not hit well in the playoffs at all. Is uh, I'll just I'll give you that much. He, uh, his career ended from an injury. Do you remember that? I don't. He took a line drive uh, to the face when he was in the batter circle. Ooh. Oh, and in the on deck circle. Wow. Who hit it? Who, who, who should we blame? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I'm sure we could find it. Uh, Aaron Miles. Oh. We're going to go ahead and just leave that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to move on from Juan. I think we're going to put him on the do not talk list. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you got a Hall of Famer. This is a good one. Yay. Somebody that stole a, uh, at least in Cecil Fielder's mind, someone that stole an MVP ballot uh, award from him, and it was not Ricky Henderson. It is Cal Ripken Jr. Yeah, he was good, too. <laughs> you think? <laughs> That's a hot take from Mark. <laughs> Cal Ripken Jr., obviously a Hall of Famer, two-time MVP, Rookie of the Year, 19 times he was an All-Star out of his 21 seasons, uh, won a World Series in 1983. I'll, I'll give you one guess with which team, Mark. Um, was it in the major leagues? It was, and it's the team that you chose. So this is going to be a huge point getter for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, also a two-time uh, Gold Glove winner 
and an eight-time Silver Slugger. Let's see, in the year 2000, at the age of 39, an All-Star. He was an All-Star. The only two years he was not an All-Star during his 21-year career was his first two years in the game, 81 and 82. All-Star every other time. Yep. And I think you were there for his final All-Star game. In, in I the was. Run. I got to work that game when he hit the home run into the Mariners left field, the uh, visitor's bullpen. Yeah, that was quite a moment. Uh, 2000, uh, he only appeared in 83 games. So obviously his streak had stopped at this point. Hit 256, 310 on base. Uh, still had 15 home runs. He had 14 home runs his final year. 56 RBI. And uh, that equals a 95 OPS plus. Wow, he only had 36 stolen bases in his career. Wow. <laughs> uh, his career high was six in 1991. He was kind of a station to station guy. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Let's see. In the year 2000, that still equals a 1.4 war. He's a Hall of Famer and he is on the Orioles. So that will be a 2.9 uh, let's see. Nothing on this card. It's just a headshot is going to help you out. So that will actually only be a 2.9. Mm. It would be more than that. All right. I don't think, you know, I don't think we need to go in depth on Kyle Ripken Jr. Just because we've gone on in depth on Kyle Ripken Jr. about 8,000 times. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's a good card for you there. All right. Next, you have got a Texas Ranger, Roberto Kelly. Roberto Kelly. I Man, I don't recall him being a Ranger. I, yeah, when I think of Roberto Kelly, I think of the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, maybe the Reds a little bit. Let's see here. 14 years in the big leagues, seven with the Yankees, two with Minnesota, two with Texas, two with Cincinnati, and then one apiece for several teams, including your Seattle Mariners. But that was his fourth to final season. He was with oh. the Mariners. So you just missed out there. The year 2000, though, was his final season, 35 years old, and he was back with the Yankees. He only appeared in 10 games. Didn't do a heck of a lot. I don't think you're going to get a lot here. A war of minus 0.5. Oof. Uh, Looking at this card, there is nothing here that's going to help you out either. So that's just going to be a big minus half a point of war for you there. Well, that's brutal. Yeah, that doesn't help you. Interesting thing about Kelly is uh, he has 10 kids. Wow. <laughs> yeah, seven sons and three daughters. So now is this a Paul Molitor, Steve Garvey type situation where they're from like seven different mothers, or is he just a, a one guy, a one woman kind of guy? I I don't know in all honesty. <laughs> what I read doesn't say. I did see that he was married to Juan Gonzalez's sister. Yeah. So that's interesting. You know, this makes it sound to me like it is all to to good old Blanca. That's what it sounds like. Good for him. That's a tough lady. Congratulations to, to, to Roberto and Blanca. All right. <laughs> All right. So that puts you at 3.8. Now, you've got another Hall of Famer here. Oh, my. Uh, we're going to have to discuss this because there are inserts here in this 2000 set. You can get an insert Hank Aaron or Mark McGuire. Now, oh I already said it's a Hall of Famer, so I'm guessing you can guess which of those two it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a Hank Aaron. You have got a Henry Aaron is correct. Wow. It was a good looking card. It's a little bit thicker than the others. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's some artwork done to it, but uh, here he is with the Brewers. So, uh, well, it says <laughs> Brewers. on it. So how, how do we want to do this? Two hours later. 
All right, so we've had a little uh, a little uh, sidebar here, and we've decided we're going to go with the best year of the team he is with on the card. So in this case, it is it says Brewers up top here. Now, obviously, the the Atlanta franchise was in Milwaukee, and he spent a good portion, in fact, most of his career in Milwaukee. Uh, with the with the Atlanta franchise then but so we're going to go with the best of these 75 or 76 is when he was with the Brewers I'm going to go ahead and say that it is probably the 75 Uh, he was also an all-star that year at age 41 he hit 234 had 12 home runs 60 RBI and that equals a war well actually he had a 0.4 war in 76 but he wasn't an all-star so we'll give you the 75 0.1, he was an all-star, plus he's a Hall of Famer, so that'll be a 1.6. Okay, I'll take a 1.6. That was a lot of talking to give you a (laughs) (laughs) 1.6. But, I mean, Henry, Henry Aaron, what what can you say? 2,297 career RBIs, still the the all-time leader in that, as well as total bases, with 6,856. Some would say he is still the all-time home run leader with 755. I mean, there's just black ink all over this this page. MVP in 1957. He received MVP votes in every year that he played except for four. Wow. That's uh, that's incredible. He's got some gold gloves in there. Uh, 25-time All-Star. 1957, the member of the, uh, the, the Milwaukee Braves won the World Series that year as well. So you're at 5.4. Moving on, we have got a prospects card. Uh-oh. So there are three players on this card. I think what we do is uh, we let we let you choose which of the three that you want to uh, you want to take. And I think okay. this is going to be an easy one. Although this is a 1990 card, so probably n- none of these guys had great numbers. You have from the Cubs Roosevelt Brown, also from the Cubs Corey Patterson, and from the Astros. Lance Berkman. Well, let's let's go with Lance. I figured you would say that. <laughs> that was not a difficult one. Yeah, no. now this, this is a prospects card, so we have to look at the ninety, uh, the the I'm sorry, the two thousand season for this. So that was Berkman's second year in the big leagues. He appeared in thirty four games the year before, but in two thousand, one hundred fourteen games, he hit two ninety seven. Uh, 388 on base. Wow. 28 doubles, 21 home runs, 67 RBI, and a 130 OPS plus. He came in sixth in the rookie of the year balloting. And that's a 2.0 war for you. And uh, nothing on this card is going to help you out. But it's a good 2.0. Big Puma was his nickname. Oh, yes. Big Puma. Not to be confused with Cowrelli Big Dumper. No. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, Forbes recognized him on their list of 30 most generous celebrities in 2012. That's awesome. Led a group called Berkman's Bunch, which uh, was an outreach to underprivileged kids to meet him before every Saturday home game. And he also, I think we've mentioned this before, purchased a fire truck and donated it to the city of West in Texas. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that. It, do they really just name teams or uh, name cities after directions? <laughs> Apparently. Have you ever <laughs> been to South? It's a really nice place. <laughs> I, I like New West South, frankly. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the you. best place. <laughs> ah, so uh, I, rem- I remember this in 2003. Cubs fans taunted Berkman, call, you know, 
saying he was a little bit a uh, little bit chunky and uh, waved Twinkies at him. He responded for the, he, he asked them to throw the Twinkies to him that he caught in his glove and then ate and then put the rest <laughs> in his pocket. He then hit a home run in the next inning, uh, earning chance of Twinkie power when he came back on the field the next half inning. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good that he's got that sense of humor. It's it's fun when we can actually find players that we don't have to just move on about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, another he had another nickname which is hilarious. He was called Fat Elvis. <laughs> when, he doesn't know why. That's the best part about it. He know, why was he called Fat Elvis? I mean, does he kind of look like Elvis? He's kind of got the chin, but yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. He was, of course, a member of the Killer Bees. Yep. Along with Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, and Derek Bell. All right, so you're at 7.4. Next, you have got a catcher for the Angels, Matt Walbeck. Okay, I don't see a big point score coming out of this one. Uh, now, was he is he part of the Walbeck brothers? The movie, uh, new the kids movie on the block. Up, oh no, I think that I think that's different than Walbeck. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's not Walbeck Burgers is not the franchise that I'm thinking. Um, of. I'm pretty sure it's not. No. All right. No. So Matt Walbeck, a catcher, 11 years in the big leagues, uh, three with Minnesota, three with Anaheim, three with Detroit, and then one apiece for Chicago and Philadelphia. In 2000, he was with the Anaheim Angels. 47 games. He was a backup catcher. Hit 199, 240 on base, six home runs, 12 RBI, a 48 OPS plus, And that is a minus .3 war but he has got on some slick blade sunglasses Ooh. and he's got that goatee that everybody wore in 2000 so that will only be a minus point one. wow still not a stellar number but better than it could have been yeah much uh, much better than it could have been once traded for now actual manager of the angels phil nevin mm. oh no he's traded with phil nevin not for don't want to don't want to take anything away from him there Oh, he stayed out of trouble. That's yeah, there you go. Let's hear right. from Matt Walbeck staying out of trouble. He stayed out of trouble. All right, your uh, second to last card. Uh, this is a good card. I like this guy. He's a Ricky Henderson-esque with the Mets, Roger Cedeno. Oh, Roger Cedeno. Man, wasn't he a Mariner at one point? We shall find out. No, maybe he wasn't. I'm thinking of someone else. All right, Roger Cedeno, 11 years in the big leagues, nine with the Dodgers, three with the Mets, and then St. Louis, Detroit, and Houston. No Mariners, but in uh, 2000 with Houston that one year, only 74 games, 282 average, 383 on base. That's pretty good. Uh, Six home runs, 26 RBI, 25 stolen bases. Wow, that's sandwiched between a 66 and a 55 stolen base total. Yeah, I think he got hurt that year. Yeah, definitely. 93 OPS plus, and that equals a war of a positive .5. Looking at this card, he does have a sweatband that has his jersey number on it. So that'll be a plus .6. Also included in this card is Philly's third baseman, Scott Rowland, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame, but he's not. But you're not going to get those points. Darn it. Maybe maybe next year? I don't know. If he becomes a Hall of Famer, can we re- <laughs> Retroactively, <laughs> yes. Well, put a pin in this episode. And, there you go. Uh, let's see some guys he was traded for or with of note. Charles Johnson. There's catcher Octavio Dotel and Derek Bell and Mike Hampton. That was a big deal. 
Uh, also, Brad Brad Osmus and Nelson Cruz. Wow, in 2000, he was traded for Nelson Cruz. Oh, okay, this is the other Nelson Cruz. Oh, okay. <laughs> you almost got me there, baseball reference, but you didn't. Well, nothing nothing bad. And he did start a charitable foundation in Venezuela. So, you know, that's two good guys in a row that you've gotten in terms yeah. of charity. So, congrats. We don't get points for personality, unfortunately. No, but next year you will get points uh, minus for some of these things. So. Yes. <laughs> uh, not next year, next season. All right, your final card. You're at 7.9, and you're going to love your final card because it is one of your favorite players of all time. Oh, good. New York Yankees shortstop, Hall of Famer, Derek Jeter. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you're going to get points out of this. You're going to yeah. probably like him after I'm this. I'm not going to whine about this one. Mr. November, the captain, Captain Clutch, DJ, Derek Sanderson Jeter. 20 years in the big leagues, 14 times he was an all-star. He's got five World Series rings. He was the rookie of the year, five gold gloves. That's ridiculous. But <laughs> in 2000, of course, he was an all-star this year. He did not win a gold glove in 2000, thankfully. He hit 339 that year, a 416 on base, which, uh, let's be honest, with the bat, he was an incredible player. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. 15 home runs, 73 RBI, 22 stolen bases, only caught four times. He was a great base stealer. 358 career bags, 97 caught stealing. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's good. A 128 OPS plus, and that will equal a 4.6 war. He's a Hall of Famer and an all-star that year, so that will be a 6.1. Let's see. He has got glasses on. And uh, you know what? He has got, let's see, so that's, uh, what did I say? A 6.1, so that would be 6.2. Now, he's got a sweatband on that doesn't have his jersey number, but it's got his silhouette. So I'm going to give you that. <laughs> okay, okay. That'll be a 6.2 for you. <laughs> <laughs> and that will take your total up to 14.1. Now, I'm sure Derek Jeter... Uh, has to have some sort of charitable foundation. But we should mention that he gave away a lot of gift baskets for free. Well, I don't know if they were for free. You had to earn them. But he gave away a lot of gift baskets to some very eligible bachelorettes and probably some that were not bachelorettes uh, throughout the New York area. So congratulations if you got one of them. All right. So that is a 14.1 total for you, sir. That's a pretty good total for eight cards. All right, I'll take it. All right, so I'm going to open up my pack here. I likewise have a uh, a checklist on the back, but we know that that doesn't matter. Oh, I'm going to love I I love this first card. It's probably not going to get me anything. But gosh darn it, if you give me a player who at any point in his career can be seen rapping about a Ford truck, I'm on board. Oh, (laughs) It's Brad Saberhagen here with the Red Sox. We've talked about... Mr. Saberhagen uh, a couple times. Fantastic pitcher, really was. He, Yeah, he was. Uh, two-time Cy Young Award winner, three-time All-Star. He was on that 85 Royals uh, World Series team. He won an ERA title, gold glove. He was the MVP of that 85 World Series as well. But uh, in 2000, he did not play. Yeah, he wrapped up his career in 2001, but uh, in 2000, he did not play. So I am going to get... what. Well, you know what? Props to you, Mr. Saberhagen. You've got a goatee and you are wearing real stirrups in this picture. There you go. So <laughs> I'm starting off in a better place than you did, actually. 
Uh, Saberhagen, 16 years in the big leagues. 1989, led the league in wins and ERA. 23-6, 2.6 ERA. 12 complete games, 4 shutouts. Led the league in innings pitched as well. And ERA plus, and won the Cy Young that year. Pretty good. That's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> that uh, World Series MVP in 1985 against St. Louis, he went 2-0 and in two games, uh, two complete games, mind you, one of which was a shutout. So that's 18 innings pitched, 11 hits, one earned run, one walk, and 10 strikeouts. My goodness. That's dominant. Yeah. <laughs> they, man, I, you can't give it to anybody but him. I agreed. Plus, he rapped about a Ford truck. I mean... Yeah, I mean, he's Brett Saberhagen. Yeah. Very good deal. Well, choose the truck named after me, the special edition for MVP. Now, get five... Uh, let's see. Threw a no-hitter in 1991. I don't remember that. I don't either. Uh, let's good see. Good though. Yeah, no-hitter against the White Sox at Royal Stadium. Uh, let's see. He's opened up Brett Saberhagen's Hit and Fun, an indoor sports center and arcade. In Babylon cool. Village, New York, batting cages and laser tag. The, That's fun. Uh, the building was constructed to resemble M- Ebbets Field. I like this. Huh, that's awesome. Nothing bad here. Um, yeah. Uh, something that is, is cool, but not as cool as you would say Sabrina the Teenage Witch. But Brett Saberhagen did appear on an episode of Married with Children. Yeah, I think we, I think that was, yeah, that was definitely during the strike, right? I think yep. we talked about that. Also exactly. appeared as a... As himself in the movie The Scout. Ah. Uh, let's see. He's been married a couple of times. <laughs> He's, uh, but there's there's no black there's no red marks on, on his on his thing here. So I like that. All right. So uh, that's a positive point too. My second card is Minnesota Twins outfielder Chad Allen. Okay. Yeah. Chad Allen. Apparently, there's an actor named Chad Allen. Of course there is. That I'm going to have to narrow my Google search to get to the actual baseball stats. Let's see. Chad Allen, seven years in the big leagues, three with Minnesota, two with Texas, one with Cleveland, one with Florida. In 2000, only 15 games played for Minnesota. As an outfielder, he hit 300. But uh, let's see. Extra base hits, only three doubles, seven RBI, no stolen bases, two cop stealing, 77 OPS plus, and a war of minus 0.1. Hmm. Yeah, nothing on this card's going to help me out either. <laughs> Something I find uh, um, interesting is that he was named in the Mitchell Report. Oh, really? makes me wonder. <laughs> he needs to take was more. He, <laughs> was he using the same roids? Or was he buying the bargain stuff? I think they gave him the baby aspirin, but still <laughs> charged him full price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking at his career, uh, well, he did have 14 career. That first season in 1999, he had 10 home runs. That might have been the year that he was using. There you go. Because that's it. His, his He only had four more home runs, and they all came in 2001. He was a Salt Lake Buzz legend, though, let me tell you. Oh, was he? Uh, he would have. I think that would have been the Salt Lake Bees at that point, but I don't know. Oh no, they were the Buzz. Yeah, yeah, the, the Salt Lake Buzz at that point still. Nice. My that was my my minor league team. There you uh, go. He did go on to play one year in Japan. In two thousand and seven, he was in Japan. Wow. So he kicked around for a while. Seventy eight games. He hit two eighty six there, and uh, four home runs for the uh, the Orcs Blue Wave. Or no, they were the Orcs Buffalo at that point. Uh, Carl Tuffy Rhodes at age oh, 38, still playing. 
But remember, yeah. as we discussed, he was, I think at this point, he was no longer counted as a foreign player. Right. Uh, also teammates there with the Buffalo with uh, also Salt Lake Buzz legend Dan Serafini. Very nice. All right, so I am at point one after two cards. Ouch. All right, well, this is going to help me. Next year, it would probably uh, probably hurt me, but I've got a Mariner. And uh, his name, as he's wearing his uh, number three on his sweatband here, is Alex Rodriguez. Oh, I remember those days. Uh, let's see, A-Rod. Now, I've, I feel like I'm going to get some points here. In the year 2000, he was an all-star. Uh, actually, a bit of a down year for him. It was his final year in Seattle. No black ink anywhere across here. Still came in third in MVP validating. Uh, let's see, 148 games. Hit 316, 420 on base. Nice. 606 slugging, 41 home runs, 132 RBI, 15 stolen bases, four caught stealing, a 163 OPS plus, And that will equal a 10.4 war. Whoa! <laughs> plus he was an all-star. So that's 10.9. He's got his jersey number. So that's an 11. And there's nothing else I can see on this card. Oh, my gosh. So that will vault me up to 11.1. <laughs> wow. And I was feeling bad for you after the first two cards. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not going to lie. That kind of uh, that kind of helps. Well, you know, in his free time, Rodriguez enjoys golf as well as collecting art. Well, isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you don't know anything about him, yeah, you should read up on him then. All right, next. Oh, my goodness. Wait, now this is not fair. I mean, again, this is going to be a great card for me. But <laughs> I go from A-Rod to Kurt Schilling. Jeez. <laughs> this is the all do not talk about pack. All right, we'll make it brief here. 20 years in the game, in the year 2000, he started with the Phillies, got traded to the Diamondbacks, where, of course, he teamed with Randy Johnson, did some good things there. Overall, he went 11-12 and 12 with a 3.81 ERA, had eight complete games to lead baseball that year, and ended up with a 124 ERA+. plus. All of that equals a war of 3.5. He is wearing real stirrups. I'll give him that. So that's a 3.6. And with that, that will give me 14.7 and vault me into the lead with uh, five cards remaining. <laughs> How is that? Is that only three cards? I got an extra card in this pack. I think you just get the points. I don't think you have to take it out. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm taking it. <laughs> There's no discussion here. All right. Next, I have got a San Francisco Giant. It is uh, outfielder Armando Rios. He's got a cool name, whoever he is. I remember Armando, but you're right. That is a cool name, Armando. Let's see. Armando Rios, six years in the big leagues, four with the Giants, two with the Bucks, and one with the White Sox in 2000 with the Giants. 115 games at 266 average, 347 on base, 10 home runs, 50 RBI, three stolen bases, a 118 OPS plus. And that equals a positive 0.9. Uh, he's got that goatee, so that'll be a even one, and nothing else on this card is going to help me out. So that will take me up to 15.7. And he's another another guy mentioned in the Mitchell report that probably didn't get the good steroids. <laughs> now, remember, we've already determined that next season, if you are mentioned in the Mitchell report, you're going to minus. We That's haven't right. decided how much we're going to minus, but yeah. 
Uh, well, he's an admitted user too, so he yes. actually. Came I believe clean. he testified. Well, you know, good for him. Yep, absolutely. All right, my next card here is a draft picks card. I've got two players, neither of whom I've heard of. Uh, <laughs> first for the Expos, I've got Josh Girdley, and for the Royals, Kyle Snyder. Okay. Uh, now, I have literally not heard of either of these that I, I, I mean, I guess maybe Kyle Snyder sounds familiar, but I might be getting him confused with someone else. If I were just to go by names that I like, I'd go with Girdley, but I'm going to go with Kyle Snyder. Not Corey Snyder. No. All right. So Kyle Snyder ended up pitching for five years in the big leagues, and he was a member of the 2007 World Series Boston Red Sox. There you go. So good for him. Did not play in the year 2000, though. So that's not going to help me out. Uh, Did not play in the postseason in 2007 either. He was the first round draft pick by the Royals in 1999. Oh. So I'm going to get nothing there. It looks like he's gone on to coach uh, since so. He played for the Spokane Indians in 1999. It's the minor league team I used to go to and watch when I was in school. I'm at 15.7. I got three cards left. Uh, Next, we have got a Texas Ranger. Could get Mariner points here. I'm not sure. It's Mark McLemore. Mark McLemore, who, by the way, that's who McLemore named himself after, the the rapper. Is it really? Yes. Why? He's a huge Mariners fan, I guess. I mean, uh, I'm going to get points because uh, his final five seasons in baseball, four were spent in Seattle. And then his final year was with Oakland, which I don't remember. But I'm going to get two-tenths of a point because two of his last three seasons were with the Mariners. In 2000, he was with Seattle, led the league and caught stealing with 14. 245 average, 353 on base, uh, three home runs, 46 RBI, 30 stolen bases for a 77 OPS plus. And that will equal a 1.3 war. He does have some flip downs on here, which is nice. Uh, So that'll be a 1.4 plus the two-tenths for the Mariner seasons. That'll be a 1.6. Now, sliding, uh, this is a defensive card. It's it's horizontal. He's at second or short here, and he's taking a throw from the catcher and sliding into the base is Kenny Lofton, which, you know, that could be a Hall of Famer sometime in the future. That happened a lot. A lot of uh, Kenny Lofton sliding into second base. Wow, the Angels traded Mark McLemore to Cleveland for Ron Tingley. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Ron Tingley. (laughs) I do, too. (laughs) I remember him, too. That's not a good trade. McLemore went to Samuel F.B. Morris High School in San Diego with Sam Horn, the originator of the horn. (laughs) Oh, this is interesting. Uh, he became the first major leaguer to play with all four teams in the original American League West before the Astros joined them. Hmm. Gene Nelson, one of my favorite relievers of all time, also did this. But when he did it, there were more than four teams in the AL West. That's when like the White Sox and the Royals and the Twins were all in it. All right, so I'm down to two cards left. I have got, uh, I know this guy played for the A's at one point. It is first baseman for the Dodgers, Eric Karros. Ah, or as the uh, announcers for Atlanta used to call him, Eric Karras. <laughs> Good old Skip. 
Uh, let's see. Peter, Eric Peter Karos, 14 years in the big leagues, 12 with the Dodgers, one with the Cubs, one with Oakland. In 2000, he was with the Dodgers, hit 250, a 321 on base, 31 homers, 106 RBI for a 100 even OPS plus. He was the rookie of the year in 1992. And uh, in 2000, that still gets me a 0.8 war. There is nothing on this card that is going to help me out. So that'll just be a take me up to 18.1. I'm cruising now. All right. So my final card. Oh, I remember this guy. This guy was really good. And he's with the Tigers here, which is my team. You go. See, you should have gone with your usual thing and taken the primary team for whoever our main story was about. I was, I was embracing the chaos. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> All right. This is uh, with the Tigers outfielder Bobby Higginson. Remember him? He was not bad. Yeah, he had some really good, I think, overall years with the with the Tigers. Eleven years in the big leagues, all of it with the Tigers. What if we that that might be a rule that we could implement if you spend your entire career with the same team? Ooh, yeah, not a lot of those guys. Yeah, you've got to play for a certain number of years. But the thing is, it's gonna it's gonna end up taking ten minutes to to get through all the rules for Wax Wax Heroes. Uh, let's see, in the year two thousand. 154 games. He hit 300, a 377 on base, and a 538 slugging, 30 home runs, 102 RBIs, 15 stolen bases, and a 135 OPS plus. That equals a 5.3 war. Plus, he's on the Tigers. That'll be 5.8. Are you kidding me? And he's got a goatee, so that'll be 5.9. Are you killing me? That is a 24, which, of course, is a magical number on this podcast. Of course. All right, so that's going to take me to 24, well ahead of your 14.1. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to notch another win there. That'll take my win total up to 11. I think this is the closest I've ever been to winning while being ahead. Yeah, I gotta say, man, I, I I can't keep up. I think you'll probably uh, you'll probably cut into that lead at some point. But that is also going to wrap up this edition of Wax Packs Heroes. And with that, it's also going to start to wind down this whole episode. So uh, if you want more of us, you can uh, check us out wherever you get your social media. Well, most places where you get your social media, you can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise. Just find us. Just Google it. You'll find us. If you want to also send us an email, Mark has another version of that that you can reach us at. Yeah, you can reach us at two strike noise at gmail.com. Spell it out. T-W-O strike noise at gmail.com. All right. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this week. We will, uh, well, first of all, thank you for being here. That's from the bottom of my heart, the cockles of my heart. Thank Very you for nice. listening. And we'll see you next week on the next edition of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.